Section 17 of Bird Stories from Burroughs by John Burroughs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra. Bird Stories from Burroughs by John Burroughs. The Whippoorwill. One day in May, walking in the woods, I came upon the nest of a whippoorwill, or rather its eggs, for it builds no nest, two elliptical whitish spotted eggs lying upon the dry leaves. My foot was within a yard of the mother bird before she flew. I wondered what a sharp eye would detect curious or characteristic in the ways of the bird, so I came to the place many times and had a look. It was always a task to separate the bird from her surroundings, though I stood within a few feet of her and knew exactly where to look. One had to bear on with his eye, as it were, and refuse to be baffled. The sticks and leaves and bits of black or dark brown bark were all exactly copied in the bird's plumage, and then she did sit so close and simulate so well a shapeless decaying piece of wood or bark. Twice I brought a companion, and guiding his eye to the spot, noted how difficult it was for him to make out there, in full view upon the dry leaves, any semblance to a bird. When the bird returned after being disturbed, she would alight within a few inches of her eggs, and then, after a moment's pause, hobble awkwardly upon them. After the young had appeared, all the wit of the bird came into play. I was on hand the next day, I think. The mother bird sprang up when I was within a pace of her, and in doing so fanned the leaves with her wings till they sprang up. Too, as the leaves started, the young started, and as they were of the same colour, to tell which was the leaf and which the bird was a trying task to any eye. I came the next day when the same tactics were repeated. Once a leaf fell upon one of the young birds and nearly hid it. The young are covered with a reddish down like a young partridge and soon follow their mother about. When disturbed, they gave but one leap, then settled down perfectly motionless and stupid, with eyes closed. The parent bird on these occasions made frantic efforts to decoy me away from her young. She would fly a few paces and fall upon her breast, and a spasm like that of death would run through her tremulous outstretched wings and prostrate body. She kept a sharp eye out the meanwhile to see if the ruse took, and if it did not, she was quickly cured and moving about to some other point tried to draw my attention as before. When followed, she always alighted upon the ground, dropping down in a sudden peculiar way. The second or third day, both old and young, had disappeared. The whippoorwill walks as awkwardly as a swallow, which is as awkward as a man in a bag, and yet she manages to lead her young about the woods. The latter, I think, move by leaps and sudden spurts, their protective colouring shielding them most effectively. As the shadows deepen and the stars begin to come out, 
the whippoorwill suddenly strikes up. What a rude intrusion upon the serenity and harmony of the hour! A cry without music, insistent, reiterated, loud, penetrating, and yet the ear welcomes it. The night and the solitude are so vast that they can stand it. And when, an hour later, as the night enters into full possession, the bird comes and serenades me under my window or upon my doorstep. My heart warms toward it. Its cry is a love call, and there is something of the ardour and persistence of love in it. And when the female responds, and comes and hovers near, there is an interchange of subdued, caressing tones between the two birds, that it is a delight to hear. During my first summer in my cabin, one bird used to strike up every night from a high ledge of rocks in front of my door. At just such a moment in the twilight he would begin, the first to break the stillness. Then the others would follow, till the solitude was vocal with their calls. They are rarely heard later than ten o'clock. Then at daybreak they take up the tale again, whipping poor Will till one pities him. One April morning between three and four o'clock, hearing one strike up near my window, I began counting its calls. My neighbour had told me he had heard one call over two hundred times without a break, which seemed to me a big story, but I have a much bigger one to tell. This bird actually laid upon the back of poor Will one thousand and eighty-eight blows, with only a barely perceptible pause here and there, as if to catch its breath. Then it stopped about half a minute, and began again, uttering this time three hundred and ninety calls, when it paused, flew a little further away, took up the tail once more, and continued till I fell asleep. By day the poor whippoorwill apparently sits motionless upon the ground, a few times in my walks through the woods, I have started one up from almost under my feet. On such occasions, the bird's movements suggest those of a bat. Its wings make no noise, and it wavers about in an uncertain manner, and quickly drops to the ground again. One June day, we flushed an old one with her two young. But there was no indecision or hesitation in the manner of the mother bird this time. The young were more than half-fledged, and they scampered away a few yards and suddenly squatted upon the ground, where their assimilative colouring rendered them almost invisible. Then the anxious parent put forth all her arts to absorb our attention and lure us away from her offspring. She flitted before us from side to side, with spread wings and tail now falling upon the ground where she would remain a moment as if quite disabled, then perching upon an old stump or low branch, with drooping, quivering wings, and imploring us by every gesture to take her and spare her young. My companion had his camera with him, but the bird would not remain long enough in one position for him to get her picture. End of section 17